Really uh, good to see you. I hope you're glad to be here. Um, there's, there'll always be some in a room this size who are wondering, shall I, shan't I, tonight? Uh, and my sense is that you'll be glad that you came. Um, th- this bit, much as we've had a kind of a little of a change of gear and we've chatted and so on, I, I, this bit needs to be very connected to where we were in some worship, I think. I, I found myself giving thanks, actually, for songwriters. I don't know if you ever do that, but the songs that we sing, as well as the, the wonderful people who play them, and, and we worship song, uh, God in that way. Songs, you know, inform us so much, don't they? I suspect quite a bit of our theology, actually, what we think about God and ourselves and the world, is, is formed by m- many of the songs that we sing. So we need to be praying for songwriters to, um, to, to write well, and so much that's inspired and, of course, in, in tune with the authoritative nature of Scripture. But... Um, my sense is that even as we were singing, which is an act of giving to God, an act of worship from us to him in adoration and praise, actually, as Hills was just saying a couple of weeks ago, that connects us with the goodness of God. And in that interaction, actually, we find ourselves receiving, don't we? We kind of can't help it. And I just believe tonight that there are many in the room, some, many, don't know how many, where it's as though your tank, which has been depleted, even in the act of giving uh, worship through song, has begun to be filled again. And I just want to say, I also believe that the enemy will want to rob you of that truth, of that sense, and say, well, it's just a feeling, and you just had a good time, and you sang some good songs. Can I say no? Uh, What's going on is the Holy Spirit is actually doing something as we open ourselves in that way to the activity. uh, We open ourselves to the activity of God in our hearts. And uh, those of us who find ourselves, yeah, I'm just being filled. There's something going on in my inner places, especially maybe if you came in a depleted sense. uh, That's for real. Because God is always looking to bless us, always. Um, and just don't lose that, I guess, is, is what I'm trying to say there. Um, we may come back to that a little bit. We'll see where we go. It feels like we could go off in all kinds of directions tonight. Um, and as, as nice as it is to see you, by the way, wasn't it lovely to see the sun yesterday? Just for a day. Just, you know, just, hi, I'm here. I'm still here behind the clouds, <laughs> in case you wondered. It was lovely. There was a wedding in here yesterday. I felt so glad for David and Hannah, who were married um, in here, that they got sunshine. Probably the last time that you'll see, we'll see the Easter visuals on the screen for a little while, Uh, but I'm really glad that we're staying with these post-Easter kind of themes over these couple of Sundays, last Sunday, this Sunday. I came across a really beautiful story uh, recently. There's a famous conductor called Reichel, I think that's how you pronounce it, and he was rehearsing uh, an orchestra and a choir for a rendition of um, Handel's Messiah, you know, Handel's Messiah. And there was a very famous soprano who was singing the solo line, and they were practicing that aria where it goes, I know that my Redeemer lives. Some of you will be familiar with that. I know that my Redeemer lives. And she sings this in, in rehearsal, and she's got a beautiful voice, and of course it's, it's a wonderful tone, and you know, she sings it very well, and people are very Impressed, but but Reichel stops the rehearsal. It's a true story, and, um, and and comes over to her and very quietly says to her, "Madam, do you believe what you're singing?" And there's this kind of quiet moment, a pregnant pause, and she looks down. And then she looks at him in the eye and she says, "Yes, sir, with all of my heart, I believe that my redeemer lives." And he says to her, "Well, sing it again, but this time make me believe." that he lives, and make the whole world believe that he lives. And so they begin the the rehearsal again, and she sings it, but this time uh, deliberately as an act of worship, focusing her attention fully on the Jesus that she knows and loves and who loves her. 
uh, and sings it until, as it were, the, or not as it were, in reality, the, street, the, the tears run down her own face, and as she opens her eyes, sees the tears running down other faces too, and Reichel comes over and says to her, I believe, I believe, I believe that your Redeemer, Jesus, lives. And we're going to read a story, we're going to get into the scriptures in a minute, but, but I love that we're just dwelling on this very obvious reality. But friends, it's a total game changer, isn't it? That Jesus lives. It is the very core of everything. It is the turning point of all human history. It's, of course, the reason that we're here. If he, wasn't, if he didn't rise, if he wasn't alive, we'd be watching Agatha Christie or something, or you know, downtown the Burger Bar, or, or doing something different. We're here because Jesus is alive. Everything flows from that. Everything, our worship flows from that. Our response flows from that. Everything flows from that. And we've got to decide which side of that we're on. Do I believe? Will I sing the song of Jesus being alive in my life? What impact does that then have on who I am, what I do? The answer is everything if we take it seriously. And I know that we know that, but I'm just captivated again in, in, in a fresh way by the most profound truth of all. We know that our Redeemer lives. Ready to be encountered, that's what we're gathering to do, to meet him, worship, celebrate him, his goodness, pay attention to him, what he wants then to give to us, to encounter him in his word. We've encountered him in in worship. We encounter him in his word. And what we're going to read now is a story of encounter. Uh, And I believe that God wants... uh, for us to to encounter him again through this familiar post-Easter stories. He encountered two others. You'll find it in Luke 24. It'll be up on the screens. And friends, can I ask us again to, as much as we can, embrace, use imagination. There's two characters in the story plus Jesus. And I'm not telling you who who to imagine yourself to be. Imagine yourself with Jesus, if you like. Um, but, But let's just pray again. I want to pray again as we read this that the Lord will speak. It's almost a story, I was saying to Andrew before, almost a story that stands for itself in so many ways. It's unbelievably rich. Anyhow, let's read it because we need to get on. If I could have that on the screen, Daph, that would be great. So the same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. And he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And they stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened there these days? What things? He asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed. Before God and all the people, the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. We had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what's more, it's the third day since all this took place, and in addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive, And then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are. How slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. 
Didn't the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us. For it's nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread, he gave thanks, he broke it. And he began to give it to them, and then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. And they asked each other, weren't our hearts burning within us while he talked to us on the road? And opened the scriptures to us. And they got up, and they returned at once to Jerusalem. And there they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, it's true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. And then these two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized them when he broke the bread. We know that our Redeemer lives. I'm old enough to remember a man called Malcolm Muggeridge. That name will be familiar to a handful in in the room. He was quite a famous man towards the end of the last century, so I'm going to guess 70s mainly. Uh, And he was a fierce critic of almost everything. Uh, The government, um, the church... Uh, or the establishment, almost anything, very cynical kind of a person, TV celebrity, author, that kind of thing, as far from faith in Jesus as anybody you can imagine. But he found himself uh, uh, filming for the BBC, actually, a documentary in the 70s in Israel. And uh, had his life effectively turned upside down during the filming of that documentary. And it was on the Emmaus Road that it happened. I mean, he's not suggesting it was the only factor, but he came there to believe the truth of the gospel. He came there to meet himself, the living presence of Jesus, Uh, almost against his will, actually. It was so, such a powerful experience for him. He, He came to see and experience and trust that our God is the one who draws alongside in the ordinary stuff of life, the ups and the downs, and meets with us and shares himself with us and draws us towards him and his word and things are different as a result. And Malcolm Muggeridge's life was totally transformed and people couldn't quite believe that he'd had that experience and come into a living hope himself. It's an amazing story. This is an amazing story, isn't it? You can see what I mean. It almost stands by itself. We could explore it. I encourage you maybe to read it again this week. Just pause slowly and digest what's going on here, all sorts of messages. But God, I think, wants to minister to our our heart's condition uh, tonight, maybe some particular heart conditions. One especially, I have a good friend, Peter Strachan, he's a good friend to many in this church. If you get prayer mail, you know that Peter's had a heart condition, Um, quite a serious one recently, and he's been in Oxford Hospital, and he's just come out, and he's recovering at home, and keep praying for Peter for, for restoration of health. Peter had a heart condition that required um, some attention. And God uses this story, I believe, to deal with things in our hearts. He's always after our hearts, by the way, isn't he? David was a man after God's heart. God is always after us. Not really our behavior. Not really what we look like on the outside. Not really how we live so much. Because that flows from the inner place. He's after our hearts. There are actually three heart conditions, I think, in this story. I think I've probably only got time to touch on the first. Uh, I've headlined them, aching hearts, searching hearts, and burning hearts. 
Aching hearts, searching hearts, burning hearts. We see all of those, uh, but we'll see how far we get. Remembering the story, and again in our imaginations, Palm Sunday's happened, wild crowds have happened, enthusiasm has happened. These two friends will have been caught up in the enthusiasm of the occasion. Jesus coming into the city triumphantly, people cheering, uh, uh, imagining that this is the Messiah. He's going to overthrow the Romans, sort out the corruption, and now he's dead. He's been stripped and flogged and nailed naked to a Roman cross. And the two of them then are heading for home because what else could they do? It's all over. No point staying in Jerusalem any longer. Those hopes have been dashed. They're moving back home, seven miles, trudging slowly, probably. Life has to go on. Cleopas and his companion, a number of scholars, by the way, think that, that uh, this guy's the same person as Clopas, Cleopas, Clopas. It's an unusual name. Spelling variants were common. Uh, Mary, the wife of Clopas, is mentioned uh, at the foot of the cross in John 19, almost certainly. So some scholars believe this is Cleopas and his wife Mary. I am happy to be convinced by that. If so, it's likely to, more research suggests it might even, Clopas might even then have been the brother of Joseph, um, Jesus' natural father. So um, it could well be that this is Jesus' uncle and aunt who went on to be significant figures. Anyhow, their hearts are aching, aren't they? you can kind of imagine what that felt like. Have you ever noticed that all the saddest words in our language begin with D? It's funny that, isn't it, how that happens? I don't know. Somebody will explain it to me. About doubt. David was talking about doubt last week. Disillusionment, defeat, uh, deflation, dismay, despair, Doncaster, death. (laughs) Apologies if you're from Doncaster. But disappointment, disappointment would would be a good label, I think, over the feeling. It seems to be the main emotion here. We had hoped, Hills was talking brilliantly about this passage this morning. We had hoped. We had hoped. It's all loaded into that phrase right there, isn't it? We'd hoped that this was the one. Hope is like oxygen. Hope is, is the air in the, in the lungs that we need for life. Cicero says, where there's life, there's hope. I'd put it the other way around. Where there's hope, there's life. Can't survive without hope. And when hope withers and it, and it sort of diminishes, it, it can take us into difficult places. It's a slippery slope towards some of those other Ds, isn't it? Discouragement and even despair. We get resigned, we, 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 we sort of begin to give up. I don't think anything will ever change in this scenario, this situation. We had hoped, but now that hope has, has gone. And it has a sort of cumulative effect, disappoint, one disappointment isn't necessarily decisive in itself, but, but the build-up of disappointment or a continual disappointment over a period of time just gnaws away, doesn't it, at hope. And then you can even become afraid to hope anymore in any kind of change or or reversal because that would be to set yourself up for further further disappointment and we want to self-protect and avoid that. And then we can shrivel and then we can become smaller and then we can put up those walls of self-protection and find ourselves actually trapped in in a pretty miserable place. And I don't know how far down that road they'd gone, but here's Cleopas and and Mary, let's call them that. And, And there'll be some in the room tonight and you recognize this. This is the stuff of human experience. It's the stuff of broken hearts and a broken world. It's the heartache of disappointment. Things not working out as we had hoped. Arsenal lost again this afternoon. (laughs) 
to be very trivial. Small things. Sometimes it is small things. Uh, but on that spectrum, through towards much bigger things, much more serious disappointments. Fill in the blanks for yourself. You don't need me uh, to give you examples of what that's like. Get in touch with disappointment, things which didn't work out. They're not working out how you had hoped. The project has gone wrong. You haven't got the job. The friendship you were expecting to go in a particular direction hasn't. Whatever. An elderly relative is, is going downhill with dementia. Whatever. We had hoped. And it leaves you so disappointed, just hanging on, trying to get through, trying to put it behind you, trying to move on, but living perhaps with a, a lower expectation. Faith is belief in truth, but alongside expectancy that it will happen. We need both. And when, it's hope, when hope is low, disappointment is high, we have little expectancy. What does Jesus want to do? He wants to restore hope. He wants to help us deal with this place of disappointment. They're so disappointed, these two. They're talking to Jesus. They find, him, find themselves talking to this stranger, and they talk about Jesus, this man who was a great prophet. He was amazing. He did incredible things. He was a miracle worker. He healed people. He did this, and he did that, and he was extraordinary. And then he was killed. We thought he was going to redeem and rescue us all, but now he's dead. Hugely ironic, by the way. This is the gospel according to Cleopas. Did you get that? And it's all true. It's all amazing. It's a brilliant summary of who Jesus was. Jesus was that person. He did do all of those things. He was a mighty prophet under God. He did do the miracles and the healing and the teaching and everything, and he did die. But his death didn't put an end to his mission to redeem and rescue. It was the very means by which he accomplished that mission to redeem and rescue and bring new life and hope and release us from the bondage and, and, and trap of our own rebellion and sin and, and pave the way for freedom and new life. They pour out their disappointment. The cross has changed everything for them, but not in a good way yet. Their experience of Jesus is now all past tense. Even want to pause there as I was just preparing this, thinking just to say, I wonder if there's people in the room tonight and your experience of Jesus is past tense. He was. We knew him then had an experience of him there, met him then, but then feels like rather a distant place. And I'm not sure now, I still find myself in a building where we're celebrating him and singing songs, but in my heart, he feels a bit then. Friends, God has good news for you tonight in this truth and story that he has not abandoned you. I mean, the dramatic irony is extraordinary, is it? We who know the story and read the story now, they tell all of this about the very person that they're speaking to. Isn't this one of the best lines in all of Scripture? Meditate on this. Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. Didn't deserve it, didn't earn it. He just did. Because he gives himself away, as we just sung in that great new song. The reckless love of a saviour, a redeemer, who just comes alongside and walks with. Because that's the heart of the good news of a God who comes and doesn't stay distant. Jesus present in our pain. 
And we need to hear it again and again and again and again and allow the Holy Spirit to take it and burn it into our spirits again and again and again. Whether we know it or not, by the way, whether we recognize him or not, by the way, Jesus is present in our pain. Present with us always. Why? Because it's his promise. He can't do anything other. If you're a follower of Jesus, your spirit lives in you. You can't be a follower of Jesus without his Holy Spirit living in you. So he can't leave you. Even if you want him to, he says you won't. He's with us. He's with us, he's with us. Their eyes were kept from recognizing him. We're not told why, so it's speculation. Could it be that Jesus deliberately veiled his identity until he'd been able to teach them and encourage them some things and open their eyes of faith before he kind of did the big reveal thing and opened their physical eyes to see who he, who he was? Could well be part of, partly that. Could it be that their disappointment blinded them to the reality of who he was? They're so caught up in themselves, so caught up in their negative emotion, their pain, that they, they, they were moving in a different direction. Didn't have eyes to see who it was even who was with them. That can happen, can't it? We can move, they were moving away, weren't they? We can move away in our, in our disappointment. Emotionists can be so overwhelming. We find ourselves being self-absorbed and rather blind to things going on around us. Could be that that's what's going on here. Maybe it was vital for these two to have some time first before the amazing revelation of who it was that was speaking to them to actually be able to express and get out their sadness and their disappointment. This is so key, isn't it? There's sometimes a strange view in the church that somehow to do that, to express how we're feeling, we're so disappointed even with God, even with this Jesus who's let us down. Sometimes a strange view, maybe it's partly British view, I don't know, churchy view, that, that there's not, we shouldn't really do that too much. We shouldn't express that kind of thing. Shouldn't we be, come on, you know, we're people of faith, there's, we're, there's somebody else's situation is always worse than ours, we always compare ourselves you know, with, with somebody else, and it's okay, come on, let's, let's get going, and let's be strong, and da-da-da-da-da. It's not helpful, is it? bit of a self-righteous kind of religious voice, that, that religious parrot I've spoken about before can sometimes whisper that to me. Come on, Tim, buck your ideas up. Don't, don't no need to sort of express. No, on the contrary. This is part of healthy relationship. I think we are beginning to learn that, by the way. This is healthy relationship. We can identify, voice our emotions, bring them to the Lord, remembering who he is. Of course, they didn't know who, who he was in this moment, but whatever the case Jesus is well aware of their disappointment, well aware of how they're feeling. But he's not quick to address it or solve it. He wants them to engage with that. He wants and does listen first. Encouraging them to speak, to get in touch with those feelings, those emotions, give them voice. Pastoral skills 101, when somebody's got heartache, of disappointment or whatever else. Listen, 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 listen. Let them say how it is for them. I find this so, so helpful. Father knows everything about us. All the pain, all the frustration you might feel, all the disappointment, all the confusion, all the stuff that we carry, all your heartaches now in the past, in the future. And his first invitation is that we don't walk away, is that we don't keep it to ourselves, that we don't lick our wounds, that we don't go into that place of self-pity, that we don't go into our cave, but that we tell him, that we let him know how it is. Isn't that why we love the Psalms? 
can hardly accuse David of being a man of little faith or, or being somehow weak because he kept expressing his, his emotion and his disappointments and despair. This is what it's like to be me right now. Personally, I've been on a bit of a journey w- with this in the latter part of my life, I would say. It, many of you in the room know that the last couple of years have carried their huge uh, difficulties in so many ways, for, for many of us in different and unique ways, of course, each one. Uh, one of the things that I've found so profoundly helpful is to be encouraged in this way. And by the way, not just to express negative emotion. This is what it's like to be me right now, God. Did you know? Have you remembered? <laughs> uh, but actually to write that stuff down. And I know I bang on about this, um, but I'm going to continue banging on about it because I, I so want to encourage us in the act of expressing that and using writing to do that. The Bible in Habakkuk uh, encourages that practice too. You might want to call it journaling. You might want to call it whatever you want to call it. And it's only between you and God, but I found it monumentally helpful to be able to uh, express as part of my testimony. Jesus does real. He does real. And when they finished speaking out their disappointment, when they finished, when he's finished listening, only then does he respond. Interesting how he responds, by the way. Did you get this? Thick heads, he says. (laughs) It's kind of interesting, isn't it? Uh, I I don't want to gloss over this, actually. Foolish ones, he says. How slow of heart you are to believe all that the prophets have spoken. We've got to be okay with the idea of gentle rebuke from Jesus. We do know that it comes from the heart of love, because he is love. So it can only come from a loving place, but we've got to be okay with the idea that sometimes his love expresses itself in gentle rebuke. He doesn't pander to them. He doesn't flatter them. He doesn't try to make themselves feel better about themselves in a sort of superficial way. He enters into their pain, sure, he enters into our pain, but doesn't want to leave us there, and doesn't allow us either to wallow there. Why? Because he's wanting to use that pain, he's wanting for us to grow stronger. He's wanting to do something in that scenario. He's wanting for us to do something. He's wanting for us to engage in a way, with him in a way, that enables this situation not to be wasted. Never waste pain. Ever. Don't wait. Pain is never wasted if we bring it to God. Because there'll always be something that he'll use about it to grow us, to grow stronger, to, to deepen us in faith and so on. So we don't just, as Hills has said this morning, great line, so we don't just get through our heartache but we grow through our heartaches. So this congregation of two gets the best kind of Bible study ever. He takes them, what does Jesus do in that place? He takes them straight to the word of truth, straight to the, to, to the Bible, straight to uh, the whole salvation history and gives them a kind of couple of hours lesson of faith and hope and truth. Right from the beginning of beginnings, through the prophets, through God's salvation plan, the way that we messed up, the exodus out of Egypt, the sort of forerunner of God's salvation, the suffering servant in the book of Isaiah, for sure. And then says, so do you remember from your own scriptures? Do you remember now, actually, the Messiah, the Redeemer, the Rescuer that you're looking for? He had to suffer. Do you remember that now? It's the bit that they're conveniently forgotten in all of their enthusiasm about who Jesus was and their, their hopes for who he was going to be. They forgot the suffering bit. I think we can be a bit like that, <laughs> embrace all the good bits. But the suffering bit, no, oh yeah, there's the suffering bit. Uh, not just for Jesus, by the way. He calls us into a place of following him, taking up our cross daily. Doesn't sit quite so comfortably. But it's not hard, is it, to imagine how their aching hearts were touched as they 
were directed to engage with the truth of God through his enduring word and were reminded of all those loving purposes and his covenant promises. Love, aching hearts get touched. And Jesus doesn't impose on them, never does, never imposes on us, never forces us, gives them a chance to, to respond, to handle that how they would. Verse 28, I love this, only got time briefly to look at this last bit, but he acts as if he's going to go on into the night, doesn't he? He acts as if he's just going to keep walking. But their aching hearts have been touched to the point where they're searching hearts now, aren't they? They may still be carrying their disappointments, but there's something hungry about these people. And there's something so beautiful about that, being able to carry the reality of pain and disappointment, but not lose some hunger, some searching, some, some, some motivation that directs us beyond our own circle of pain. And they had that. This wonderful stranger has aroused this searching within them. Their hearts, they even say, were burning as he explained these things, so moved by the, the truth, the power of what they've heard. So they're no longer quite so captive to these overwhelming emotions. And they hear a different perspective. That's so key. And by the way, of course, it's late, and Middle Eastern hospitality means that they need to invite him to stay. Interesting bracket, by the way. Uh, this is a song that is sung by hundreds of thousands of people every year. I never knew this. Abide with me, fast falls the eventide. You know that song, Abide with me, fast falls the eventide, inspired by this moment in this story. Apparently it's been sung at every FA Cup and every Rugby League Cup final for the past 90 years. That's an awful lot of people singing this prayer. Come and abide with me, Jesus, because the evening's coming. Just thought, that's, that was just for free. That's incredible. But he won't force his way in. He delights to respond to the welcome. So they prepare the meal. The bread is taken. The bread is held up. The bread is blessed then by hands that suddenly reveal themselves to be the hands where giant Roman nails have pierced. And the voice in that moment suddenly becomes that voice that they recognize and know so well. And... Their eyes are open to who he is. And then he's gone. Again, we're not told why. Why did he disappear so quickly? We don't know. Perhaps for his followers to get used to following him without continual physical presence, perhaps being readied in some way for the Holy Spirit's presence when Jesus has ascended to the Father's side. And then for followers to abide forever for the Spirit to abide forever with everybody who welcomes him into their intimate place, their table, that place of connection and deepest closeness to enjoy the blessing that Jesus prays over them. And that's a blessing that's for us, isn't it? For here and for now. For those who don't have face-to-face -face encounter, but Jesus says, blessed are those you're blessed, but you've seen. Blessed are those who believe yet haven't seen. That's us a couple of thousand years later. Blessed to make our choices, to trust Jesus again, to invite his presence to abide at the table in our hearts, to invite him into our aching places. Maybe disappointment if that's your prevailing emotion tonight. Maybe it's something else. To have him 
connect us with his promises, to have him touch us with his love. Jesus does real. And he's present in your pain and mine. Why? So that we might know him. So that we might trust him. So that we might allow him to grow us stronger, receive hope in a challenging place, and then better reflect that goodness, that hope to a world that needs it so much. Let's stand together. Good time to pause. Could well be helpful to close eyes. I generally find that cuts out at least some sources of distraction. I'll leave some space in a moment. I just want to take us back to where we began. I know that my Redeemer lives. I know that my Redeemer lives. And if he lives, he can only be good to his promise. And his promise is that he has already drawn alongside those who've welcomed him. He's already present. He's not distant. So perhaps you'd like to echo with me whatever words of invitation those two used when They invited the one who at that moment for them was a stranger but isn't to us to come in, to come closer, to continue, to be with, to sit at the table and continue to to bless and touch and they sat at his feet and they welcomed him. So I want to pause as we say, we welcome you, Lord. We welcome you. We're thanking you that you're present. We've not summoned you from a distant place. You're here and you're with us, even in us. But we welcome you. And Holy Spirit, we say come in all the ways that you want to, to do all that you want to do, even here, even now. I'm going to say that those who are in a a tough place, 
where it might feel harder even to say, I welcome you, it's all the more important that you do. That will be your act of worship. Uh, And I'm believing for you, even if you don't believe for yourself, that that will unlock something about connecting with God's goodness. So let that be your prayer. I welcome you. As always, I'm going to invite you to come forward. If you'd like to, to uh, just receive more from the Lord, there's something precious about the dynamic of us blessing each other by laying a hand on a shoulder and praying. And if you want to receive that blessing in that way, I want to really encourage you to come and not miss out on that opportunity, whether you've done that before and it's familiar or whether you haven't. I want to believe this is a safe place. It's not about sharing all of your stuff. And don't wait for further invitation. If you, want to, if you know that you just want to receive prayer, come begin to make your way. Just, just come forward. It might be as the band lead us again in a moment or two that you, your response is to connect with the goodness of God through singing again. Yeah, just that's right. Just come. Just come. Friends, please don't switch off. There's nothing more important or precious than this. If Jesus is alive and he's here, he's got good things for us. Don't go until you know what those good things are. Just come. We'll need some family members to church, family members just to come and pray in a minute as well. But um, let's, let's not be in a rush about this. I've got a few things though which I believe are particular uh, words from the Lord uh, for tonight. That means that God has particularly highlighted them. So if these kind of do something in your heart, it means that God's with you, for you, and is giving you a nudge, and it means come forward and get some prayer. There is something about the companionship of Jesus. He's a friend on the road that you have totally lost sight of. You may relate to him or God in different ways, but the fact that he's a friend alongside you is something you have not known either ever or for a while. And the friendship, the companionship, the alongsideness of Jesus. He wants to bless you with the reality of that, especially as you get then go into your week and you go into whatever you're going into t- tomorrow and the next day and so on. If that's, a, if that's a yearning in your heart that's been stirred by this beautiful story, please come and get prayer. And just make that known to somebody. Just pray the blessing of the friendship of Jesus. He is just the best friend. You may be friendless. You may feel that friendships are wonky and all over the place. Jesus is just the best friend. There's a verse in the Bible that says there are friends who pretend to be friends, but then there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. If that's you, come. There's the heartache of disappointment here. Absolutely resonate with that emotion. You're really disappointed. And you may be handling that healthily or less healthily. God knows, and it doesn't matter. He doesn't mind. But he says, will you bring that to me? Will you bring it to me? Will you bring it to me? He will listen. He knows. 
He wants to bless you in your place of disappointment. No easy fixes. He didn't do that on the road. Rarely does it for us. But he reshapes our perspective. He'll touch us and bless us. And maybe there will be a breakthrough. So if disappointment is your reality, come, 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 come. Physically, friends, if there's something wrong with your eyes or something wrong with your ears, we'd love to pray, whatever that is. Something wrong with your eyes or your ear, anything else for that matter. But I felt the Lord quite clearly say uh, earlier today that there's uh, healing for ears and eyes. This is an ears and eyes story, actually. But physically, so often married up with spiritually. If ears and eyes are an issue for you, just come. We could do some more folks to pray, please. It'd be great. Just come, come and uh, stand with a, a brother or a sister. If you are praying... Give it your best shot. Love the person that you're praying for. Ask God for something for them. I love this testimony. Is this you? Is this for you? For me, God began a good work in me and I got distracted for a while. Yet God in his mercy and grace has not forgotten me. He still plans and purposes to keep on working in me. And he's promised to keep on working in, in me. And he will do it until he's completed his work in me. And he will for you too. I love that. If that speaks to you, come. Just a sense, too, of God pursuing the one. You might feel that you're uh, alone, that God can't reach you. You're in a very distant place. As we're singing that song, the reckless love of God, he leaves the 99 and goes after the one. It might be, friends, that you're, you're that one. You might be feeling that you're that one, that you're out of touch, you're out of range. God can't get to you and nobody else can. That is not true. Don't hear that lie. God goes after the one and he's especially chasing you down. So don't leave this church building without telling him that and preferably telling somebody else that and allowing them to pray for you. So we say more of you, Lord. We say more of you, Holy Spirit. More of you, more of you, more of you. More of you, Lord. More of you, more power. Come, Jesus. Jesus. Come, Jesus. Go deep, Lord. Go deep. Open your hearts deep. Open your hearts deep. That place of welcome is, a, is, a, is, a, is an intimate place. Come. Nick. Don't miss the opportunity. I think there's still some more, maybe up from the balconies.
Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Just want to remind us, friends, if God is doing good things in your life or around your life, please share them. What the friends did next was to run seven miles back to Jerusalem and share the good news. Please share good news. Write into good news at trinitycheltenham.com. Share stuff in life groups. Let's encourage one another. So the band are going to just quietly play, maybe sing. Stay connected with the Lord until you feel that your business with him is over. Thank you for joining us, especially if you're new. Christine and Iona um, await you at the welcome point. Find out stuff there. Coffee, tea. Be blessed. Be strengthened. Be encouraged in God as you head on to other things.